He's clever, but he can't fool me with his magic. It's an old trick, changing into a girl. Oh, no. She can't be he. She doesn't ask questions. Pardon me, but you look pale. Have you been job hunting? Virginia, don't be silly. You know my name? Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we are rounding out the 1948 nominees with The Snake Pit, a movie that is not about snakes or pits, starring Olivia de Havilland as a patient in a mental institution. Yeah, and I mean, it's just the science wasn't there yet. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like, literally, the science wasn't there yet because our sympathetic psychologist character puts her into electroshock therapy. But also, just, we don't know how to tell this story. I thought our sympathetic psychologist is the one who's like, yeah, we should stop doing electroshock on her instead of do talk therapy. <laughs> yes, but he is also the one who goes, we should do electroshock. He just goes, I was just doing that to make contact, so now we don't need to do a full course of electroshock therapy. Fair. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't even know where to start with electroshock because I feel like Every five years, it's like, this is absolutely the worst thing. And then five years later, it's like, well, actually, there are uses for this. So, like, I am definitely not an expert on that. Uh, yeah. It seems horrific to me, always has. And yet I'm strangely fascinated by it. <laughs> I think everyone is, right? Because otherwise, why is it featured so often in film and television? Yeah, like, I think it's because it's kind of a weirdly easy practical effect, right? That's true. You just have your actor convulse. But I don't want to go too hard on this movie because I do think from a 1948 standpoint, I kind of feel like it's done its research and is really trying to be very progressive. But I do think it's 1948. So almost all of this seems just barbaric. Yeah, I think it is meant to, That's... but also the the yeah. psychological talk therapy element of it doesn't exactly seem barbaric, I guess, but it does seem so incredibly outdated and, like, just very strictly Freudian. <laughs> like, nothing else that has happened in your life ever matters after your relationship with your parents and is just playing out your childhood desire for the opposite sex parent which like we've moved beyond that yeah though it seems to help yeah we're not doing a plot discussion because there's no plot discussion olivia de havilland plays virginia cunningham apparently schizophrenic woman who's uh, confined to an insane asylum and has to work through the like parental guilt slash guilt of being present when her first fiance died in a car accident who she didn't seem to actually like <laughs> no and who didn't seem at all likable but mostly we are here to see the insane asylum we're here to watch olivia de havilland be in an insane asylum and like spend a lot of this movie trying to come up with a term for being a big fan of olivia de havilland because I, we are that but also she's not good in this movie 
And a lot of that is not her fault. Like, just the voiceover here is bad. See, I hmm, I feel like she's good in this movie in spite of the role she has been told to play. It, like, she is very dedicated to it. <laughs> and it's not even that she is miscast. It's an interesting casting choice, I think, actually, because initially Jean Tierney was supposed to play this role. And Jean Tierney is, like, 20 years younger than Olivia de Havilland at this point. And she goes through a lot of this film without makeup on. This is very much the beginning of the, if I make myself ugly, then I will get nominated for an Oscar thing. Yeah. It, again, this is what you're saying. The science isn't there, right? Like, it's very difficult for a person who doesn't suffer from a specific mental disorder to get into the head of someone who does when we knew so little at that time about psychosis or schizophrenia or the book on which this is based is an autobiographical novel by a woman who was probably misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and who through talk therapy was able to get well enough to leave a mental institution and then went on to have a pretty long career as a successful novelist so i don't know how much like she was able to communicate what it was like to be in this state of psychosis from the kind of objective perspective you kind of need to get into that role. You know what I mean? Like, you can describe sensory things, and it feels very much like Olivia de Havilland read something that said, oh, well, I would hear voices in my head that said this thing, and then just, like, does that without any kind of support. You know what it is? It's that an actor doesn't know what their, uh, this is so cliched, but what their motivation is if they are looking at it from the perspective of, oh, this is a crazy person. They don't have motivation. And it's like, no, there's still, though there is madness, yet there is method in it, right? Like, even when you are in a state of psychosis, there is a, a rationality that you create. And it seems like that is not present here at all. <laughs> yeah. And in a weird way, I feel like the voiceover is supposed to be fixing that because you're supposed to sort of be hearing that rationale, right? You're supposed to be hearing her go like, oh, in this scene, I am not sure whether my husband is real or like an elaborate facsimile. You're supposed to be hearing why she's acting like this, but in a weird way that makes it way i mean one it makes it way less compelling but it also makes it way less engaging in terms of the acting that she's doing because th you just end up analyzing endlessly whether or not the facial expressions she's making really match up to the voiceover that's going on and there's sort of an uncanny valley effect there because of course there is because that's not how this works right <laughs> But also it means that from the outside, it doesn't make any sense that we have these voiceovers because you can watch her working that out on her face. Right. So why bother? <laughs> I do think Olivia de Havilland is a good enough actress that like two thirds of the time, my thought was just get rid of the fucking voiceover. Like, I can tell right. she's confused. I can tell she's struggling to make sense of her situation. I don't need the play by play of what she thinks is going on here. That's a really good assessment of what is frustrating about this. Watching it, I felt like 
one, it's very difficult to watch. So I don't want to say I didn't hate it in the sense of like, oh, this was an enjoyable film. Like, I will never watch this movie again. And I, you know, spoiler, I'm not going to recommend that anyone else do either. (laughs) But I've seen movies before that were set in mental institutions that were somehow less frustrating. And I think you hit on it exactly, which is that we don't need that voiceover because Olivia de Havilland can actually just act those emotions. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure what of this movie was bad because psychotherapy has moved forward so much. What of this movie was bad because the Hays Code kind of wants this to be a like weirdly clean romance. A girl gets back together with her best guy and it all goes okay, which is such a wild mismatch for this film and what just isn't working here film-wise. But I think that did make it sound like I... I I didn't hate this movie. I didn't really think that it was terrible. It avoids a lot of the missteps. This could be torture porn really easily, and it isn't. This isn't that thing of, like, you'll never believe how terrible it is in an insane asylum. It's terrible there. You do get the sense of, like, this place is overcrowded. They don't really pay attention to these women. It's bad here. But it isn't, like, let's watch it be bad. Let's watch how miserable all these women are. Can you believe it? Which this could very easily fall into. Right. It doesn't quite know what it's making, and so it's a confused movie more than it's a bad one. Yeah, I think that's a really good assessment. And full confession, I am a total sap for movies that are set in mental institutions. It's basically my favorite horror movie setting Because it's so fucking horrifying, right? Like, up until quite recently, and probably in some cases even still recently, because it is easy to take advantage of and exploit people who are in this incredibly vulnerable state. But at least as far as what are considered to be the cutting-edge treatments are no longer, let's immerse people in nigh-on-boiling water, (laughs) or like chain them up or put them in straitjackets or electroshock therapy or whatever. But it is a a great horror setting because it is man's inhumanity to man. And this actually, I felt like, did a much better job of showing the humanity of everybody who is involved in this situation and how there is a systemic breakdown where doctors are not communicating with nurses nurses are performing to the best of their ability except for this one who's like in love with the doctor and thinks that the doctor has taken a shine to olivia de havilland and so treats her like shit which is a very bizarre thing Mm -hmm. that is not allowed to play out as much as it would be (laughs) if we didn't have the Hayes code But I'm kind of glad of that because I feel like it would be so much fucking worse. It does avoid the thing that this can also fall into of the system's fine. It's just X person. Nurse Ratchet is the problem. (laughs) Right, exactly. This movie, I think, almost wants to do that. But because that part is weirdly confusing, actually, that ends up working in the movie's favor because that character, Nurse Davis, just kind of goes away. Yes. You don't end up with, like, evil is defeated. We got rid of the bad nurse, so she's fine now. She's not that prevalent. Also, theoretically, there is a bit of a subplot of 
Olivia de Havilland's character having some transference onto the doctor because he's helping her get better. And he's really the only doctor that she trusts. Whereas for the vast majority of the film, it's like, well, that makes sense because he's the only one who seems to be doing anything that is helping you. So, of course, he's the only doctor that you trust. Right. And then at the very end, she says to him as she's leaving, I know that I'm okay now because I'm not in love with you anymore. And I'm like, wait, was that ever a thing? (laughs) Right. No, totally. The first time I thought that was actually the dance just a couple minutes before that where she doesn't say that, where she just sort of goes like, oh, there's one more thing, but I won't tell you now. And I'm like, is she like into him now? Was like the first time it ever occurred to me that might be the case. Right. And apparently that was when she was going to go, I'm not into you anymore. Right. Because you're right. It doesn't play that way at all. In retrospect, because this is autobiographical, it almost feels like it doesn't need to explain that. Right. Because like there would be emotional transference in this situation. Right. But in a weird way, it's like the movie did its homework so well, it isn't showing its work. And so I'm just like, oh, I guess we were watching a weird quasi romance for parts of this movie that I didn't recognize at all. Okay. From her point of view. One thing though, that I think is actually really interesting about this film in which I really liked And it's a small thing, but it ends up being a pretty big deal, is that when she leaves the hospital and she is well enough to go home, it's very clear that she is still going to need therapy and she's still very delicate and very vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. I feel like usually these things are like, yeah, now I left, Doc, and I'm all A-OK. Boop. Yeah. (laughs) That, to me, was actually very... uh, very heartwarming (laughs) i would generally agree with that i do think it's undercut a little bit by how much they want this to be a romantic hollywood ending like it's all gonna be okay now that they're both together but Mm. i do think that in general you're right the other thing that's confusing about that is that i think the movie in general has a good handle on that you know our sort of act two conflict is that the husband wants her out so badly that she gets bad treatment. Yes. That he ends up hurting her, trying to get her back. And the movie does have this understanding of an interplay of desires here and that it really is not as simple as love will conquer all and bring her back to herself. And then the ending is like, put on the ring, baby, let's go home. (laughs) And everything around it works well enough that I think you're right. It is complicated. It doesn't play as storybook ending as it literally is on the page, you know? Right. But I do think that it's another example of this movie being kind of confused, that it knows it shouldn't just try and make this into a boy meets girl story or a girl meets boy story, but then feels compelled to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of smaller examples of that where a lot of what these women's problems are end up having to be kind of confusing and unstated because if we've said exactly what they were, the Hays Code would have a problem with it. The Hays Code has to be very explicit that, like, you put career over men, and that was one of the first signs you're going insane. <laughs> yeah, but it really does do that, which is just, <laughs> oh, something else. Anyway, really frustrating. 
And also that all of her psychological issues stem from the fact that she had the natural Freudian progression where she wanted her dad to go away subconsciously and then he died. And so now she feels like she is not worthy of love because her wish killed her father. And like, I mean, I'm sure that in some situations that is actually a thing that happens with people But this idea that the worst time for parents to get divorced if they have a son is when the son is five because the son becomes angry at the father because he just wants all of the mother's love and attention and has come to realize that the love is split between himself and the father. So if the father goes away, the son thinks his wish created it. And I'm like, I just... I just don't necessarily know that that's a universal experience. (laughs) Can I ask a question? There's a weird thing where the doctor goes, the disease your dad died of takes years to develop. What was I supposed to get out of that? Was the idea that like this actually wasn't a sudden illness. She just sort of made it that because she was making this like post hoc rationalization to blame herself or like, her mom secretly killed her dad like what the hell was that oh no i'm I'm pretty sure that was just him speaking to her inner child and saying you could not have done this because yeah he had a disease that okay you know started before you were born and i mean i'm all for therapists wanting to talk directly to your inner child that's fine but again this idea that like you have spent your whole life blaming yourself for your father's death because of a subconscious wish that he would go away maybe the issue is like your dad died and that was really fucking traumatizing (laughs) right like and not that you know you wished it on some subconscious level (laughs) again because this movie is based autobiographically and has done its homework there's this interesting progression when you think about it of the therapy of you get to this incredibly acute moment fairly early where her first fiancé, who she didn't really like, but was a very direct analog for her father, uh, they're having this conflict about getting married and get into a car accident and he's killed. And you're like, oh, that's a super acute thing that would really traumatize a person and would really fuck him up. Yeah. And then she's not fixed. That That doesn't go like, well, that solved it. Like, I've unpacked the thing. That That's the most acute point of this much larger constellation of stuff is what the movie I think is trying to say. But then it goes so hard on this like weird shot of her, like smashing a doll of her dad's face and like goes, you felt it so acutely when he died and you blamed yourself. And it's sort of like, well, is, is it that this is actually the secretly most important thing? It keeps saying there is no one singular most important thing, but then it keeps showing you things like they are the singular most important thing. It keeps treating them that way, you know? Right. It is a confused movie, and as a result, it's a kind of a confusing movie. I finished it fairly close to us recording, and I'm still kind of unpacking, like, Wait, why did we have a scene where X happened? Like, why did we do a whole scene where she goes out with her husband and thinks her husband is an elaborate facsimile of her husband? What was that about? 
why is that in the movie? That's a good question. I mean, other than just to show that she's not well yet. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other things that indicate that. Right. I will say one of the things that I think is actually quite remarkable about this film is just from a photography perspective, I kept catching myself thinking of the pretty famous woodcuts for Dante's Inferno and how that tracks with this thing they have in the institution where you go through different levels. So like level one is right before you get released and you can be bumped up and down from level one to level 10 or whatever. I don't know what the lowest level was. I think it's 12. Yeah, I think it is 12 actually. <laughs> but I was like, surely it's not that many. But no, I think you're right. Um, And there are a lot of these shots that feel that way and because the movie is in black and white and because each level they're trying to make a point that one level is definitely markedly different from another one and the way of they have to do that is essentially to crank up or lower how loud and chatty and outwardly mentally unstable anyone is and the part where she references the title of the movie about how she felt like she was in a snake pit and how that actually made her feel better because she realized that she was not having as hard of a time as the people that she was with in whatever level she'd been bumped down to from one. They literally do this above shot where she's standing in the center of this sort of circular room and everyone is moving around her, <laughs> which really made that even more clear this idea of the place as kind of like Dante's hell. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going weirdly hard on this movie in that way that I do. This movie's a B and it could have been an A and that makes me so much angrier in a weird way than in old Arizona, right? Throw that film in the fucking garbage, right? Like, yeah, because you could just hate it. Right. And unproblematically, you're like, there's nothing of value here. Fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah. And like, this is a movie where there really is like that snake pit shot and that whole metaphor just kind of seemed beamed in from another movie to me. And like, it's good, but it felt like weirdly out of nowhere in this way where I could never quite and maybe this is an intentional effect and I should be kind of prouder of the movie for making me as confused as Virginia must be or something but it just never really settled in for me what movie I'm watching in this way of, oh, now the Hayes Code kind of jerked me over here. Whoa, that's a weird thing about psychotherapy. Oh, God, we're doing the voiceover again. Oh, man, the, we're really playing up the romantic strings for the husband coming back. It just was constantly jerking me around. This movie apparently did have a very positive effect in terms of reforming the mental health system and getting people to really pay attention to what was going on in insane asylums and trying to do something about it. But I could never quite tell when something in this movie was supposed to be an indictment of the mental health system, when it was supposed to be something that is helping Virginia get better, and when it was just like kind of a wacky detail because this movie does occasionally sort of play people's mental illness for laughs yes it does and it's rare enough that i'm not really angry about it but it is also 
just often enough that I'm again confused. Like, am I supposed to find it funny that one of the nurses went insane? Or did she? Or what was going on there? Uh, I, yeah, I feel like the patients think that it's funny. For me, it was really sad. Yeah. Because it was emblematic to me of her being overworked and feeling like she didn't have support from the higher up staff and being overwhelmed with what her job was. And I think that I don't know if it would have read that way in 1948 at all. I think that in light of the last year and reading all of these articles about, you know, nurses who have worked on COVID wards who are just absolutely at their limit and are being forced to continue so far past their limit and how like we are going to have a pretty major mental health crisis that we will have to deal with for a long time after that because this pandemic has essentially inflicted what's called moral injury on these people who are you know they sign up to do one thing and now they're they sign up to save people's lives and instead what they're doing is watching people die every day it reminded me of that which i don't think that would have necessarily been a thing that did 1948 they were going for so yeah it's kind of played for laughs whereas for me it was really sad yeah like virginia on her way out the door does kind of a like the inmates are going to be running the asylum because the asylum's the inmate now thing that is supposed to be kind of cute and you're just sort of like hey how come this woman's pain doesn't count like we care very much about the nonverbal woman that virginia makes friends with right but like the nurse is just kind of here to do a weird funny observation thing yeah where you're like "Eh, what why (laughs) i think that's my whole problem with the movie is What counts? What is sad? What am I supposed to be angry about? What am I supposed to be happy about? I don't know what anything means because there's no North Star here and because the movie is kind of being pulled in all these different directions by the demands of Hollywood, the demands of the Hays Code, the story it's trying to tell and... Just the fact that psychology and psychotherapy in 1948 is very, very different than it is in 2021. You know what's fascinating to me, actually, is that they were still doing hydrotherapy. So I really thought that that was something that went out in, like, the 20s. Uh, And at one point, you know, she's in one of those very hot baths with the whole heavy canvas over the bathtub. That was pretty shocking to me. But yeah, I mean, I feel like any movie that deals with the treatment of mentally ill people that is not a period piece that's like, look at how fucked up things used to be, will not age well, because what we think is totally civilized and good now, it will turn out 20, 30 years, and certainly at this point, 80 years from now, where they're like, oh my god, I can't believe they used to just, like, stuff people full of drugs, when now we know that you can just go in and, like, laparoscopically shock one little part of the brain and take away all of their (laughs) problems forever that i feel like that's just doomed (laughs) so unless you're showing how fucked up it is it's very difficult to show 
well, this part is fucked up, but actually this part is good because in retrospect, they both look incredibly dated and not very functional. Yeah. In a weird way, this is like the opposite of a screen test of time movie, because I think as a historical artifact, if you view it as a period piece, it's a much better movie in terms of does it last the screen test of time? It sort of has all the problems we talked about with Spellbound. But... No, at least it is based in some actual, if bog standard, Freudian talk therapy, psychology stuff, where Spellbound definitely felt like, oh yeah, therapists are magicians who can interpret dreams to solve crimes. I, you know, I want to... I don't even know if I want to stick up for Spellbound, but I do think that there was a degree to which Spellbound did a better job of outlining the therapeutic process. The actual details of it were absolute Calvin Ball. <laughs> but in a way, this movie didn't. It does a little in the third act, but for a lot of this movie, you're sort of lost at sea why why this is the treatment she's getting. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that makes it very hard to tell what's supposed to be good treatment, what's supposed to be a problem with insane asylums, what's just a weird-ass detail they put in. No one ever tells her what's going on until the third act. And that Spellbound is much clearer about, like, what you're experiencing right now is emotional transference. Right. And you're like... Well, that's great because what I'm being shown is a fucking Salvador Dali dream sequence. <laughs> so thank you for letting me know what this is. <laughs> yeah, okay. F fair, fair. I think I think that that's true. Yeah, there are definitely times in this movie where she does something or she doesn't do something and the treatment for doing or not doing it does not in any way make sense, which... If we are watching this and as the audience, we are supposed to be surrogates for Olivia de Havilland's character, fine, I guess. Like, that is the problem, right? Is that they're being treated and no one is explaining to them why what is happening is happening. But that it then changes to, okay, well, now we're actually going to talk about all of the things that are wrong and what you need to do to get better and that in the end, the thing that does make her feel better is she gets knocked down so many levels that she's among people who are sicker than she is. And so she is like, oh, well, I'm not this sick, so I can get better is a very fucking weird insight. <laughs> right. And like, is this supposed to be taken as a weird sort of redemption for the tiered system this hospital does, is this supposed to be just sort of a weird upshot of having this abusive nurse? It's what does this movie want me to take away from anything? Because she tells the story about the snake pit as a treatment, as in the Middle Ages, people would, I don't even know if this is real or apocryphal or what would throw people who were considered insane into a snake pit on the theory that, well, this would drive a sane person insane. So maybe it'll like shock the insane person into going like, well, God, I don't want to be in a snake pit. <laughs> Christ. And shock them back to their senses. Right. Which is sort of framed in that story as terrible and barbaric. 
but also is basically what the hospital is doing and does seem to work. Well, and that's sort of what she says, right? Is that it seems when you hear about it, you think it's terrible. But then when it happens to you and it works and I'm like, is that are we? Right. Are we saying that this was good, actually? Because I don't know that I'm on board with this. <laughs> right. And like in that way, it is it, whatever. Like, I, I feel like I could spend two hours really trying to parse what is this movie messaging something well and what is it messaging badly and what am I just not getting because I don't know enough about the state of psychotherapy in 1948. It's not even a mess. It's just confusing because I don't have the cultural context. It's shorthanding so much stuff Mm. and picking such weird things to shorthand and such weird times to do it that I just felt lost in a way I don't think the movie intended, but I'm not sure because that's another thing I'm confused about. <sighs> so I guess we should rate this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of things I'm confused about, um, three, four, four, four. I think I'm, four. I'm, I think I'm, four is a solid one for here. Yeah. Four is the like, you tried. <laughs> Yeah, and like in a weird way succeeded. I do think this is it has the cultural impact of a one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It really does something to the audience in 1948. <laughs> it gets the people going. But I don't think it stands the screen test of time is the thing. Like I think this is a movie that more than most suffers from we're watching it now and not when it came out. Yeah, I think four is good. Also, though, I do say don't watch this movie. (laughs) No, I mean, unlike you, I don't even this is not a favorite setting of mine. I generally don't like things set in an insane asylum. I kind of only grudgingly like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which is the gold fucking standard of something set in an insane asylum. Oh, see, we're going to talk about it in several years, and I don't like that movie. (laughs) Okay. Because, again, I like this as a horror setting. I mean, even when it is a period piece that is not uh, supernatural horror, it is still horrifying. Um, uh, Well, we'll get into that in a few years. (laughs) Yeah, um, but just generally, don't watch this movie. it, It is interesting historically, but it is not an interesting movie. You mostly just walk away going like, what? Why did th- why did X happen? Why did we spend so much time on Y? Why does she get transferred to this complete other doctor when she's knocked down to the snake pit? But then that doesn't matter fucking at all, and she just goes back to Dr. Kick. What was that? What was any of that? Yeah, no idea. <sighs> Don't watch this movie. But we do have to talk about what the best movie of 1948 was, and if the Academy chose correctly. Christ. Yeah. Fuck. Um, Oh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Done. Bye. Goodbye. None of these other movies are really worth your time. Good day, sir. Yeah, this was not a hard one to hammer out at all. The bad thing is that Treasure of the Sierra Madre was last on the list, so I was reading down and I was like, oh god, it's a real fight between Hamlet and the Red Shoes. Two movies I didn't like very- Oh right, Treasure of the Sierra Madre's here. Fuck this year. (laughs) Everything else is garbage. Bye. Like, I'm done. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it was very, very easy. And do watch that movie. It's great. Yeah. 
So next week, we're starting the last year of the 40s with a letter to three wives. Is it? It's not. No, no idea. It's not a far flung three smart girls sequel, is it? Oh, my God. God. I, I feel like it could be, though, right? Like, yeah. at this point, they're three wives. Right. God, I want it to be. Oh, no. Because it's based on the novel A Letter to Five Wives. And they were like, two of these wives suck shit. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so, Or maybe it was just like, we can't. It's too many wives. Five wives. We, we, can't, can't, we, can't, we can't fit that many wives in a movie. We're just giving wives away. This is not. We can't do this. What if we need a sequel? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't fit five wives in 103 minutes. That's just crazy. No one's ever done it. I feel like 1949, I'm going to be weirdly harsh on because look at 1950. I want to get to 1950 so bad. Yes, well, you can't for five more weeks. I'm sorry. I know, but it's all about Eve and Sunset Boulevard and the original Father of the Bride, which I've never seen, but I've heard is still pretty good, even though it doesn't have Steve Martin in it. Uh, it does have Elizabeth Taylor, though, so. Oh, yeah. See, there we go. We don't get to do that for a while. Because next week we have to watch A Letter to Three Wives. Yeah. So yeah, tune in next week for that. And until then... I mean, this was a movie. I did take that much away from it. A lot of the other details escaped me. <laughs> but I did I did figure out this was a movie. It was. It was. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. All right, ladies, don't crowd. No gal maid has got a shade on sweet Emma. Georgia Brown. Emma, to you get off that girl so neat is sweet Georgia Emma, Brown. You get off this minute. Folks oh, do let her finish, please. She's sweet Georgia Brown. You want to know why? You know I don't lie. Not much. It's been said she knocks them dead when Emma. she landed. Emma, Emma, come Since on. She Emma. came as a come perfect on. shame like she